You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Rez Picar, CEO of Trox. Eric has been building technology businesses for the past 25 years, with a dedicated focus on supporting education for the last 14. In mid-2019, Picard led the merger of Troxel Communications and CDI Technologies to create North America's largest education technology provider, what we now know as Trox. Uh, Today, as Chief Executive Officer, Arez leads a team of individuals whose sole focus is helping educators plan, buy, and effectively leverage technology in classrooms, and as we get into it, at home too, (laughs) thanks to the pandemic. He is a passionate advocate of education, believing it is the most important of all human endeavors. This drives and shapes the company's mission, to serve educators in the pursuit of better access and improved learning outcomes for students of all ages. Arez, welcome to Remote Possibilities. Thanks for taking your time. Thanks for having me, Kevin. And as I mentioned in your intro, uh, you know, your company's mission probably has never been more important than, than it is now. The first question I usually ask uh, most of my guests is, well, what was that, uh, where were you when moment uh, when you began to realize for maybe even yourself uh, and as well as for your company that something drastic was going to change? I remember a gradual buildup in January, but I distinctly remember when the World Health Organization declared a global health emergency at right at the end of January, and then a couple of days later, uh, global air travel was restricted. And by the time the World Health Organization declared COVID a pandemic, which was, I believe, middle of March, uh, we sat and were listening to the news. Uh, We were already dealing with some product shortages because manufacturing was shut down in China for a bit by then. And it was becoming becoming clear that uh, there will be a catastrophic device shortage in North America just as schools were sending kids home and the demand for devices was uh, skyrocketing. So I think it was uh, probably the second or third week of uh, February when we all sat as an executive group and realized that uh, the world is about to uh, take a wrong turn. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, it must have been just kind of uh, a triage moment for you, right? It was. And, you know, at the time, you, you, you try to make decisions uh, on how to pivot, and you don't want the pivot to be catastrophic. You're making uh, decisions based on very little information. Uh, but at the same time, you have to make those decisions and get prepared. Um, and, you know, we saw uh, a lot of our uh, a lot of our peers in the industry that uh, maybe took a bit too long to pivot and get ready. And... Uh, and it shows. So, you know, we were trying to be quick, but uh, not too adventurous. And I think we might have uh, struck the right balance by luck uh, back then. Right. So maybe describe it, those first weeks uh, when you're talking about the supply chains being interrupted. I mean, what did you see as the like, the, the biggest need for, for districts and, and, and your suppliers in those first few weeks? 
So schools were very quickly dropping off. Um, nothing was interesting with the exceptions of things that they needed to start building remote learning platforms. So things like uh, classroom technologies in AV, uh, screens, uh, different types of software, all of those uh, purchasing decisions were put on hold and everybody were um, struggling to get enough devices and the software they needed to uh, be able to send kids home. And it, it kind of upended our industry because uh, we have a wide catalog of over 500 vendors and all of a sudden the four that uh, build devices became by far the most expensive, uh, the most important. And what we needed to do at the time, I mean, there was uh, China shut down and uh, devices were not showing up into North America and um, the demand was growing. And our focus in those first few weeks was how to corral as uh, much of the supply as possible and point it towards education because uh, corporate were was looking for the devices the same as education. Right, right. Talk a little bit about um, how company strategies have changed since then. I mean, how, how have you continued to pivot or uh, react to this never ending fluctuation? Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? It is, um, you know, and, and in a lot of ways, I think, uh, you know, trucks uh, was prepared for this, not by design, uh, but you know, we deal mostly with uh, schools and uh, the vast, uh, the vast percentage of uh, purchase orders that we get are from the district level. And of course, districts shut down, and the administrators that uh, stayed working started working from home. So personal relationships became really important. Um, prospecting doesn't work during this time. Nobody wants to talk to new people and they rely on the relationships that they have, uh, people that they trust. And our uh, 125 sales professionals have uh, long-term relationships with the administrators that, uh, that they do business with. Um, I think our average relationship is just north of seven years. So all of a sudden, these relationships became everything and administrators that are struggling to uh, do very, very difficult things uh, with very limited resources, a lot of time from home, rely on our people right now to uh, put these solutions together. So I think that was probably the most important thing. And we had to learn how to um how to use these relationships to work with people that in uh, normal times have access to many vendors and uh, a fairly robust process for buying things, bids and RFQs, uh, budgets that are set years in advance. And all of a sudden it's just a quick struggle to put quick solutions and spend a lot of money on, um, on things that they don't have the same amount of time to prepare and bid out. So interesting times. Yeah, I mean, the the phrase "customer support" um, has taken on a, a whole new meaning, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, and of course, our people are working from home as well, which took a few weeks to sort out. And uh, you know, it, it's we have salespeople that work remotely, but uh, most of our staff works in our two head offices: uh, one in Toronto and uh, Canada, and one in uh, Phoenix and Arizona. And all of a sudden, everybody is working from home and Zoom meetings, and uh, and that took some getting used to. 
I have to say, I'm 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 surprised at how well it worked. Are you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you feel for the most part. I mean, it, the things have been highlighted. Uh, failures failures have been highlighted, right? I mean, you you hear about districts not doing things well or not connecting to the kids. But I, in my conversations, I, I agree with you. There's just the fact that people stay connected at all was pretty amazing, right? You know, I, I'm a big fan of educators, and I think educators always find a way to teach. So it is unfortunate that a lot of districts are struggling and um, maybe they don't have the resources they need to, to put full remote programs. But I've seen dozens of examples where teachers, schools, and whole districts uh, managed to put together remote learning programs that you would have expected take months to build. You know, yeah. my kids are a good example. I mean, they were up and running within 10 days and managed to finish the year and, you know, get through all the material they needed. And I thought it was amazing. Some of the conversations I've had have been, um, they're a little selfish when they when they say that while they didn't want it to happen this way, a, a lot of the more innovative districts are saying, finally, this is what I've wanted to do for 10 years, right? In terms of the technology and in terms of using the technology in a, in a more proactive way. Yeah, it, it's true. And, you know, that, that goes to the, uh, to the question of what will happen once uh, COVID is over. So, you know, I, I think in, in some ways, uh, education will return to normal as soon as it can, in the sense that uh, we all want kids back in schools physically, and schools serve many purposes other than just driving academics. And, you know, at this point, schools are the only structure we have that provides these services. That said, I believe, as you said, that COVID um, is moving us years ahead and showing us how to use technology effectively and how to create learning experiences that go beyond the physical world. And I think that's going to stick. I think uh, education on the K-12 to level uh, is going to be more technology-based, and uh, a lot of educators will adopt and uh, continue to use the technology uh, once COVID is uh, hopefully solved. And I think in higher education, uh, we might actually see uh, a dramatic shift to online learning uh, because it is an effective way to, to provide that type of education. So I think there's going to be more permanent long-term changes in higher education. Yep, yep, yep. I, I, I agree 100%. Now, if we were speaking this time last year, we'd be, be talking about the classroom, right, and about how Trox uh, is able to outfit modern classrooms. Uh, Twelve months on, we're talking about learning spaces in students' homes. Has that changed your strategy of, you know, distributing technology? I mean, it, it has the classroom now truly extended to the home? And if so, what are the, the, the products and, and technologies that, that you see being implemented first? Yeah, so the, I mean, remote learning is based on the device. So the device all of a sudden became the most important component of the technology that uh, children are using. Uh, so where, you know, where before a year ago, one-to-one uh, -one was the goal and every district had a, you know, either was there already uh, or had a multi-year plan to get to a one-to-one -one, uh, environment. This uh, forced everybody to go to that, to get to that immediately. So 
uh, our focus is uh, we don't sell directly to uh, parents or children. Our, our business is 100% focused at the district and school level. But we work with uh, thousands of districts, and their focus is to get first the devices they need so that uh, every kid has a device when they're home. And then everything that wraps around that device from accessories, uh, cameras, software, um, and everything that they need so that the uh, collaboration uh, tools uh, so that the kid get as close an experience at home as they would in a physical uh, classroom. And now that uh, teachers, hopefully at least a percentage of them will be back in classroom, they have to put together hybrid models where some of the kids will be in the class and some will be remote. And that requires quite a bit of uh, AV equipment in the classroom for a, a teacher to be able to deliver a, a lecture in a class to kids that are both in class and at home. So there's quite a bit of uh, classroom technology, AV uh, cameras and microphones and speakers and things like that to be able to connect uh, those kids that are remote and the kids that are in the classroom and, and try to have a coherent class. Yeah, in, in my conversations, I know a lot of the frustrations with um, you know Zoom fatigue and uh, those video conferencing synchronous solutions, not um, not working well with younger students, really not working well with any students because it really wasn't designed for that. And 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 when you look towards the classroom, um, it's going to be tough if that one camera in the classroom is just a little green light at the top of a teacher's laptop right you're just you're not getting that it's that that experience of being in the class it's true um, and there is good technology that enhances that experience so there are uh, cameras that follow uh, the teachers and give you both a face view and a full body view uh, there's obviously technologies that can uh, side panel a teacher in a digital whiteboard or a, a virtual board there's a lot of things that can improve the experience uh, but it will continue being difficult. I think time uh, helps. I think uh, kids are extremely resilient. And although a lot of them struggled in the first few weeks uh, at the end of last year when they were forced into it, a lot of the failures were uh, because the kids were sitting at home and maybe the home environment wasn't set up. I know that uh, a lot of the districts that we work with have put out good advice. Uh, you know, so for example, getting the kid to sit at a table in the living room as opposed to laying in their bed in their pajamas and trying to uh, learn, uh, and dozens of other little bits and pieces that make it uh, make it easier and more productive. I think the experience uh, now that kids are going back. Um, to, to studying and whether they're in class or uh, at home is going to get better and better from week to week. I actually have hope that we'll be able to deliver uh, education coming this uh, school year. What's the option, right? There is, there is no other <laughs> I mean, option. We could send them to the fields, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not <laughs> right. sure that we're planning for a future very well. No, no, absolutely not. Talk a little bit about um, one of the myriad number of issues uh, that has come into stark relief, uh, the digital equity and the idea of every student having a device and access. Uh, you know, it, it's a topic that um, 
we've discussed for years and it's been almost a kind of a conceptual thing like wringing our hands how can how can we make that happen and starting in march it seems that you know all it took was a global pandemic to really make it start happening um to talk about your your thoughts when it comes to to the digital equity issues and how to solve it. Well, first I'd say it's a it's a real problem and one that uh, we deal with uh, all the time. We have uh, a lot of our programs are geared towards districts that uh, don't have the same uh, financial abilities, um, and they're all aiming for the same thing. They're all aiming to improve learning outcomes. So I think it's a real problem. Um, the problem, of course, is that we can't get devices in the hands of all the kids yet, and uh, it's both budget problems and availability. Uh, even if the money was there right now, uh, we're uh, we're expecting that uh, the demand before the end of the year is going to be somewhere between five and ten million devices, and there's going to be only uh, maybe 3 million devices that will hit North America. So there's going to be shortages. Uh, kids that uh, have more financial means tend to do better because they have devices. You know, the average the average kid uh, from a middle-class family is sitting on three or four devices at home. Um, they also have internet access, and internet access is even a bigger problem than the actual devices because even if you get devices in the hands of kids, uh, that are sitting at home without internet access, then you can't connect them to the classroom. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm disappointed that as a society, we haven't done a better job so far, um, you know, starting with a federal government to state governments. It really isn't that expensive to make sure that every child, 50 million K-12 children in North America, have a device and internet access. And I, I think that it's time that we solve this. Um, you know, it would have been nice to solve this a year ago when we didn't need it, uh, but it's absolutely critical now. So I think, uh, I think this is the, um, this will give the impetus to make sure that every child in North America has internet access and a device moving forward. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, it's almost embarrassing when I think about it going back 20 some odd years and Nicholas Negroponte and the MIT Media Lab coming up with a uh, an inexpensive laptop that you know they're going to parachute into sub-Saharan Africa um, to, to get kids access and probably right there in Boston um, they could have been handing it out to the kids then. 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, I mean, we want good devices and we want good internet access. We want, you know, the, the type of things that we're used to using ourselves in business and we don't want them to have, uh, you know, less powered devices because the experience can be amazing. The education experience, the type of media that's available can be amazing if you have the right bandwidth and the right devices. But if you think about it, you know, 50 million, even if you had to to provide it in one shot to every student, we're talking about 50 million students. You know, you can provide a device and good internet, um, you know, for approximately 100 bucks per year uh, per student. And if you do the math on that, that's that's about, you know, $5 billion a year. In the overall federal budget, or if you break it down into state budget, it's a drop in the bucket. How can we not afford to to make sure that this happens? 
And and the good news is that uh, it does seem to be happening, right? I mean, I read that this week the state of California is guaranteeing devices and access to one million students. So that's now we're down to forty nine million. <laughs> Yes, I absolutely believe that there is absolutely no excuse anymore. And if COVID doesn't push us to uh, make that last step, then, you know, nothing will. So I, I'm very hopeful. Now, you mentioned earlier about uh, you know the new normal and about what things happen when, uh, you know, if and when. It's, it's definitely going to be a when that this, this, this passes to a degree that it's not an emergency. Are there technologies or techniques that you're noticing from districts that you think will remain in place? Uh, well, the answer is yes. I'm trying to think of some of the more innovative things that we're seeing. Um, the need to be able to educate remotely has always been there. I mean, there's always kids that are uh, sick or that are traveling. So I believe that the hybrid model of classroom where maybe most of the kids are in the class, but some are not, um, is going to stick. I think that every teacher will have the ability to deliver classroom to the wide world and kids that are not in class that day uh, will still be educated as opposed to, oh, I'm sick, I guess I get, I get two days off school. Um, I also believe that the uh, collaboration, that technology-based collaboration is going to stick. Um, kids learn best when you allow them to learn whenever they want to learn. So there's no reason why a child can be on their phone or uh, iPad or Chromebook uh, when they're waiting for a bus or where they're in between basketball and soccer and collaborating and doing their homework and um, you know, sending things into their teachers. So I, I believe that's absolutely going to stick. And those are two big things that I can't imagine that we'll give up now that we're figuring how to do it. So when I'm I'm looking at my children staring at their screens, it's not because they're 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 doing TikTok, but they're they could be doing homework. <laughs> I I can't that's... see TikTok going away. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the hope. I like that. Yeah, the the, the collaborative idea, and it. You're right. I mean, it's that's that's the other promise, right? Which was the learning anytime, anywhere, which never had really stuck before. <laughs> no, no, and and I think it it wasn't it wasn't because kids are not interested. I I I'm always amazed at how interested kids are in learning. If you're willing to ha let them have control over timing and environment and you're willing to make it interesting for them you know that really the bottom line for kids and the younger uh the more the more interested they are but the bottom line is that this is what childhood is about and this is what play is about it's, it's about discovery and imagination and creativity and uh, we haven't had the tools you know we use schools for many many years as somewhere between uh, an academic distribution center and a babysitting center and a lunch center. Um, I think we're finally getting to the point where, uh, where we can use it the way that we should use it. And I think teachers will change uh, with this as well. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of teachers that are uh, embracing uh, these new methods and technologies, you know, and, and uh, in ways that maybe 10 or 15 years ago, nobody was ready to. Right. That, that, that group of professionals that uh, we used to uh, write about called Thwadis, like that's the way I've always done it. And 
this is the way I'm going to continue to do it. Now, there, there's no choice except to change uh, their tactics, and hopefully most of them um, see the benefits to it, because there are so many. Absolutely. Well, Erez, thanks again for your time. Uh, this was a, a, a really a riveting conversation. I especially like the stuff about the new collaborative ideas and the ways that the, the new ways that kids can learn. I really think that's something that our listeners can take and and run with. So, thanks. Oh, thank you, Kevin. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Remote Possibilities. I hope you click around and find another one soon.